Welcome to the Modern Woodworkers Association, a podcast about woodworking from folk who woodwork. Woodworking is what we do, who we are, and what we like to talk about. So join us as we have a drink, sit around, and talk woodworking. Hi, and welcome to the 191th episode of the Modern Woodworkers Association podcast. I'm Kyle Barton of Seaside Stools, and I'm here with my co-host, Diami Plotke of the Penultimate Woodshop. Tonight, we're talking to Peter Galbert. Most of you all should know Pete. He's a chairmaker, educator, instructor, writer, tool inventor, and all-around good guy. Welcome to the podcast, Pete. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I'm excited. Yes. Yeah, thank the you for coming out. shop is, 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 uh, is uh, Seaside Stools this week. We'll see what it is next time <laughs> i think you need to keep an aquatic theme always i i am since i'm here on the coast yeah i've already wrote, written down a few of them so <laughs> but uh, uh listeners will just have to keep listening to uh to see those so with that said uh so what's in the shop diami um the latest thing i've built was really it was a thrilling build it was made out of half inch plywood and two by four i built a trash chute for work um oh fantastic and there was nothing really exciting about it i mean it was just i did it with a cordless circular saw and a drill or screw gun rather but um the reason i bring it up is because like any cavalier woodworker i was wearing absolutely no personal protective equipment um and that little cordless circular saw throws off some nice little shavings like tiny little splinters one of which managed to get my eye and i scratched my cornea um so i just throw that out there I, I would not invite anyone to build a, a trash chute for work unless you're getting paid for it. It's really not that exciting. But uh, but put your goggles on, for God's sakes, because it hurt like hell. Oh, I can imagine. Did you have to go in and uh, eye doctor? Or Yeah, I, I went around? home and I took a shower and I rinsed it out. And my wife would not let me go to the meeting I had to go to until I went to the doctor. So I was late for my meeting and I went to the doctor, as I probably should have in the first place. But um, I thought there was something in my eye. And thankfully, there was nothing in my eye. I had just scratched the eye. And uh like the doctor said, it would hurt like hell for a couple of days, but it heals very quickly. So it was almost a week ago now, and I can barely feel it in my eye anymore. And it never, after that very first day, it didn't affect my vision anymore. So it's a, it's a very fleeting injury. Um, but you know, it could have been so much worse. And if I just put some stupid goggles on, like it's really not a big deal to put the goggles on. So I just, uh, I put that out there as a word of caution to our friends, put the goggles on. Hmm. Definitely. Um, so, um, do you get those nice so- sharp shavings coming off of your, your ads? And your, um, I don't know, what else do you use to make a, make a chair, Kyle? <laughs> <laughs> Draw a knife? Yeah. Uh, oh, there, I've spent literally thousands of dollars on tools to make chairs. Oh, no, I, I, I wasn't, <laughs> I knew it was expensive. <laughs> yeah, I probably could have bought a, uh, you know, a whole set of uh, Pete's chairs by this point. <laughs> but, uh, but no, yeah, yeah, i I'm probably guilty of that when using hand tools, not wearing eye protection. Um, but, you know, I do wear glasses, but, you know, they're prescription glasses, so I'm not sure. They don't really protect you from the side. Um, using power tools, I'm, I'm really good about it um, because I do have these uh, earmuffs that have the Velcro um, attachments to the side of the earmuffs and the goggles that just... oh. Uh, you know, I have a little flexible thing that just Velcros onto the side, so they're real easy to take on and off and don't interfere with the uh, earmuff. So I'm real good about doing it thin, but, yeah, not so good when I'm using uh, hand tools. Is it even a risk in hand tools? I I, I will say I don't I, I don't put on goggles when I use hand tools, but I'm not using, mm-hmm. you know, spokeshaves and things all that often, so. I'd say anything's a risk. I mean, there's always a possibility, especially um, especially when using something like an ads. Um, you, you could definitely you're definitely flowing, uh, throwing chips, or if you're splitting out wood, or you remember years or, ago when Matt Gradwell was in the sawing competition and almost <laughs> impaled Aaron with that piece that came off the handsaw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. I do. I do remember that. Um, uh, Pete, uh, for your information, where it's a woodworking in America. Golly, well, when was that? Probably 20, 2010, probably. Like yeah, and they had a hand tool Olympics, and one of these guys, I mean, he used to be, I don't know, what, what defensive end, linebacker in, <laughs> he's a big in guy. college. Yeah, he's a big, well, he's not a, he's a big guy. He's burly. Uh, not extremely tall, but very big and burly. And uh, he was in the uh, hand tool Olympics, and I guess they were doing a cross cut. With a hand no, saw. No, it was a rip. He managed, it was a big, long rip. Oh, it was a rip? Yeah. Yeah, it was a big, long rip. 
Yeah, and he managed to uh, get kicked back and throw a chunk that almost hit somebody in the eye. Oh, no. With a handsaw. <laughs> that's, that's impressive. That's some handsaw use. <laughs> It was fairly impressive, but yeah. So, um, but yeah, I do remember that, but yeah. So, well, there's not much going on in my shop. Um, I just basically, I built that prototype stool I've been talking about and I've finished that up. Um, and by finishing, I mean, it's fairly rough. I got the, uh, the seats well roughed in, but it still needs some finessing, um, the, I did cut the legs to the proper height. That took a while cause I'm basically, it's a prototype, but I'm kind of designing it to fit my bar area and my bar is bar height, not countertop height. So, um, I was able to get that cut. I made it really tall. I was able to cut it down, but, uh, um, did the, you, did you play that by ear or did you use like the standard measurements that are out there for a bar height stool? I use the standard measurements. I have the uh, human design book that mm -hmm. everyone out. So I have one of those. So I, I kind of use that to rough it in. And then, of course, I have some, you know, um, metal bar stools. And I kind of use those <laughs> as a as a gauge. But when I sit in those stools, I find them a little short to actually, you know, be comfortable, like eating something off the bar. Okay. So I wanted to make this one a little higher. So I made it a lot higher and then gradually cut it down until there was a compromise between being at the right height and easy to get in and out of it. Okay. Um, but one of the things was that was the, uh, the stretchers on it. Um, I kind of, um, kind of use, um, um, some stretcher, I guess kind of the stretcher design that, that Pete has on his perch stool, but reversed, uh, I guess kind of what, uh, burn, uh, Chanley from Australia uses on his little leaf stools that he, that he does. So it's like a stretcher that runs, across the front the well the front of the stool has two legs and the stretcher runs between them and then there's a single stretcher that runs from that stretcher running between the front legs to the back legs so, so it's a it three-legged like stool t yeah it's a three-legged stool kind of looks like a t mm -hmm. um, the stretchers do and i think they're about an inch too low so when i build the uh, build my next version i'll i'll uh make the stretchers about an inch um, higher towards the seat. But Two questions functional. about that. Um, since this is just a prototype, could you just tack a piece on an inch higher to confirm that that's the right height before you build another one and adjust, you know, play with yeah. it a little bit? Yeah, that's basically uh, what I did was run oh, okay. a clamp across it and, and see what was the right one. But between trying to um, get the seat height right for what I was doing as well as the stretcher height right, there's, I mean, I probably could have done a better job, Mark, mocking it up, but I figured I ah, just build it and see what it turns mm. out to be. And, and, uh, but I think it's quite functional, but you know, a lot of it I stole from Pete. So I really have to uh, credit him as far as the design of the uh, seat. It's kind of like uh, his perch stool, but it's a little bit more rounder, but, um, uh, Pete, I have to thank you for posting those videos on how you carve that seat because I probably watched each one about half a dozen times. Oh, so that, that's where I'm getting all those views. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm like, okay, let me do this step. All right. All right. Back up, back up. All right. Let me see that again. Yeah. So yeah, was, uh, I, I think that that was even back when I was uh, very face shy about videos. I think that was back when I was just sort of the disembodied hands just doing the job. If you, if you watch closely, I think I stayed quite in the background. Yes, yes, yes. But, but Hey, you got close ups of all the important things. <laughs> that's what I that's what I thought was so important. Yeah, now everyone wants to see you. I, I can't imagine. So, and then um I guess I'm I'm still making plans uh Pete to build your rocker that that you mm -hmm. uh, had in Woodworking magazine a few years back. So, yeah. I know you've I know you've improved on that design a lot since then, but um mm -hmm. it looks like a pretty fun build. It is. I'm, I'm surprised. A lot of people, I mean, it's, it's a complex piece really, mm -hmm. but a lot of, a lot of people have built it. I get, I've gotten a lot of photos uh, sent to me over the years of folks who've actually, you know, achieved a, a good chair out of it. So it's, 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 I'm, I'm impressed frankly, cause it's, it's a two part article, but you know, when I went to build a side chair, I had to write a 500 page book. So <laughs> it, it, it seems to me that I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that people could figure it all out and put it together. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, taking a few classes, especially the one with you, Pete, and uh, some more and uh, reading your book, um, I have every confidence I can uh, I can build it now, whether that's ends up being the truth or not. We'll see. Well, but, what's going to happen, yeah. Kyle, is you're going to get like 95 percent of the way there and you're going to be doing fine. Uh-huh. But there's going to be some yeah. little detail that you're just not quite happy with. So you're going to go and take another class with them. Of course. Go. Of course. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm. I'd be looking forward to uh, to doing that. I, I man, I'm, I was going to bring this up later, but uh, yeah, you have a you have a lot of nice, interesting classes out there, and I think you've actually expanded your classes. But we can get into that in a few minutes. But so, what are you working on, Pete? Um, right now, I'm finishing up a, a comeback armchair. Um, so I, today I was carving knuckles and you know doing what. What is sort of like the, the the glorious part of that chair, which is you know mm-hmm. getting to carve and and make all those lovely shapes. Um, I'm also finishing up a rocker like the one you're dis- you're, you're just discussing. I I started it with a class I taught about six weeks ago, and I never had a chance to get mine fully together, so I just put that one together in the last day or so. And so that's mainly what I'm working on right now, making a couple little jigs here and there, but uh, mainly just trying to knock those out because, as you mentioned, Burn Chandley is, is he's coming over uh, this Saturday or Sunday, I think. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, so he'll be here this Sunday, and then he's going to teach a class uh, the following week. Oh, well, that's fantastic. So are yeah, you going to – Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. So is he going to be uh, touring around? I, I know a bunch of those Australian guys did that earlier this year. No, no, Burn is just coming over for a few weeks. He's got a, uh, a a young child and a tight little family, and I think he only wants to come over for a few weeks this time because his, his wife and son couldn't make it. So uh, hopefully in the future they'll come next time through. But So he's going to come over. We're going to prep out for the class for a week, hang out. We're, we're old friends, and uh, then we're going to you know, run it and then uh, spend a little more time, and then he'll go home. Now, where do you teach the classes, Pete? Uh, it's out of my workshop in okay. Collinsford, New Hampshire. Yeah, okay. Which is right near Dover. Mm-hmm. Okay. So so are you living in that area now? Or are you still in the Boston area? <clears throat> yeah, I'm still in the Boston area, but uh, I, I have a little apartment. that That's where I'm at right now. This, this lovely little uh, space that I was able to rent uh, with some friends who live on basically this huge farm. So I have this nice... Very attractive environment. So when I'm up here during the week working, I have a place to go rest my head at night. But really, my my uh, home is down in Boston. Okay, okay, that's yeah. Well, I've seen pictures of the of your uh, of your class or of your school. I guess uh, it's what is it? A big warehouse that's that uh, uh, they rent out different areas. Yeah, for... it's, yeah, it's an old mill building. So oh, it's just building. one of the many. Okay. Yeah, one of the many old you know super long you know five story mill buildings. I'm. Yeah, so my windows right on the river. It's it's just it's great. It's it's pre Civil War. It's like eighteen forty. Oh, that's or that's gorgeous. I've seen pictures of it from the outside. It looks like a wonderful space. Yeah, it's really great. There's a lot of owl breeds in there, and uh, there's a few other. You know, I mean, there's like twenty eight wood shops in the building. Oh wow! Um, as well as other artists and people of all sorts of ilk doing everything from making soap to glass work to so it's it's an interesting community to to be near. And there's a lot of great little towns right nearby. So it just sort of suited everything I was looking for. I just wanted to find a, a nice place where people were doing interesting work. Now, when you were in New York, did you have a shop basically to yourself or were you still near a bunch of other artists and woodworkers and things? Do, do you mean, well, I lived in New York city and I lived upstate. I, I'm presuming upstate New York city. You can't be far away from anybody. No, you really can't. And yeah, I had all sorts of different spaces down there. But when I was upstate, I was I was in the middle of my I had fifty acres, and I had a house and a okay. workshop in the middle of so, it, basically. So it's working by yourself in the middle of fifty acres versus working with a bunch of other woodworkers and artists of different kinds. I can imagine how I think the environment would different, but I'm not in either situation. So how how is it different working one to the other? And do you like this better? Is this just this is your it's this time in your life. How do you find the different environments to work? Um, that's a, that's a great question. I, I think, you know, when I worked in New York, I was, I was fine with the isolation. I was just coming off living in Manhattan. Mm. And so I was really pretty happy to have what I had <laughs> and it was a beautiful environment. And, uh, you know, this is a beautiful environment too, actually very similar, but, uh, at this time in my life and in this time in my work, I really enjoy going in and having other people working nearby. I mean, my space is my own and I can close my door and get to work, but mm-hmm. I can also just walk down the hallway if I want to talk to, uh, 
you know, Joel Paul or Claire Minahan is right there. And uh, there's just people all up and down the hallway that I could uh, drop in and have a conversation with or just touch base with. And it's nice because, you know, the shop life can be very isolated if, mm. if it's all you're doing. You, you know, there's there's no reason most of the time to run into anybody. So it's kind of nice that you get to do it just because just they're there. I, I can yeah, imagine right. that. We, we recently talked to Grant Berger, who was in a, mm-hmm. in a single shop out in Pittsburgh and is now in a group shop in Boston and was kind of describing yeah. that same thing, that it's just – the single shop is nice, but can be so isolating. And it's nice to be able to, you know, just talk to somebody and get a second opinion on things and, and help them out. And just the, the camaraderie of other craftspeople working in a, in a nearby or the same space kind of, it fuels creativity. It, that, and just, just the, just energy general. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're social creatures and just mm-hmm. being around other people who are working can just, just to even walk past their shop and hear the machines running is enough to be like, okay, time to get to work. And I go into my space, close the door and get to work. It, it's, it is nice. Otherwise you can start feeling like, wow, am I on just some strange Island in the middle of the world where everyone gets in their car and leaves for work? And I don't, uh, <laughs> kind, of, kind of a weird place to be for a year. You know, and I, I did that for years on end. I worked in my basement for four years when I first moved out to the country. And so that was, uh, yeah, very isolated. <laughs> yes. Wow. That, that's that's interesting. So yeah, I did notice that uh, I think Claire posted a few weeks ago that she moved mm-hmm. into uh, I guess uh, corner of Joel's shop there. Yep. So yep. so 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 what's she doing? Is she uh, uh, making her making the travishers and? Yep. Stuff she's there? just knocking out travishers. She's still got a, a very long wait list. She's trying to wheedle it down. Uh, I think she's she too is finding herself. I was encouraging her to come back up from uh, Asheville because I think. You know, when I when I started working at the mill, I, I got so much more productive, and I felt like, you know, that would be, you know she'd probably have a similar experience. And I think she is; she's she's being very productive. Yeah. Now, Joel, he makes chairs too, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And are there any other chair makers there? Uh, except for Al Breed. I mean, you you've got people all all in the shops doing all okay. sorts of work. So you know, you could say, yeah, there's there's chair makers all over the place. As far as the kind of chairs I make. Uh, right now, I think it's just Joel and I are basically the ones who are doing it. And right now, he's making more than I am. He's he's really knocking them out. Wow. Well, good. Well, well. So, uh, how many classes are you um, are you scheduled for now? I know. Uh, I think you're doing a little bit about what uh, Chris Schwartz does with his classes. You're actually warning everybody and letting them know, hey, on this particular date at this hour, we're going live with registration. So, um, so what kind of, uh, what kind of classes do you have, uh, coming up and, um, are you, um, are you, are they, I assume they're probably all filled or almost all filled at this point. Yeah, they're, they're basically full now, which is, which is great. Mm -hmm. But it's been a learning curve. When I did my, my Mm -hmm. classes the first time, I just, I updated my website and I listed when they were, and I didn't realize somebody got hold of that information and threw it up on Instagram before I even really got a chance to tell people that I was going to be announcing classes. I thought I'd just <laughs> update my website. And and then I felt bad because, you know, you never know what's going to fill first. And, uh, you know, it's really no way to tell. And then, you know, people were a little disappointed they couldn't get in. So this time I thought, you know, I'd, I'd try to be smarter about it, take take it, take it a little bit easier. Um, but, yeah, we got we got a bunch of different classes coming up. You know, I've, I've been doing that. We're going to do this year. Uh, I started by adding, I think, a comeback class in December, and then about every sixth week next year, I scheduled all the way through uh, summer already. I've got a class mm-hmm. going with like you know different things. I'm doing one rocker class, and uh, the rest are like continuous arm and a side chair, another comeback, um, and things things of that ilk. Yeah. Okay. Now you you've also um, I guess kind of lengthened the classes. Is that correct? I have, I have, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, the one part about teaching I do not like is having mm-hmm. to schedule it so that we fit into the time allotted. And, you know, I know it's, it's kind of like a goldfish. It's going to grow to the size of the bowl, but you know, give me 10 days and we'll need 11 kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I just, I looked at how the classes ran this year and I decided, well, if, if I could add just enough to make it so that it was a, just even more, that much more relaxed, so that, mm-hmm. it, you know, instead of six days working real hard, we could have seven and, and a little bit more. Uh, leisurely pace or a little more comfort when it comes to you know taking our time then i figured i'd rather much rather put in the time so that's what i did yeah mm-hmm. so the rocker class is how long is that one oh i, I want to say it's nine days it could be eight okay. days but i, I want to say it's nine just because it's 
it's a complex piece with a lot of sculpting and a lot of joinery to be done. And that's mainly what that class is all about. I assume that the, the people who've taken that class, just like my last one I had, are all relatively experienced so that, you know, they have some control over the basics. Mm-hmm. How, do you do you offer classes of every level or are they all basically we're making chairs here so you need to have some fundamental understanding of woodworking and you know yeah. a, gr- a basic grasp of the hand tools we're going to use to make these chairs no you know i offer them at, at, for for all levels and almost every class is open to all levels except for like the rocker i think at this point just you know it's a funny thing there's you know experience has absolutely nothing to do with predicting how someone's going to do in one of these classes mm. um because this is just such a different animal from the general woodworking. I, I now, granted, if they have a, yeah, if they have a bunch of chair making experience, great, of course. But for the yeah. most part, you know, there's there's no amount of table saw work that's going to help you understand <laughs> how to use a draw. Right. There just isn't. Um, and and what it comes down to is, are you good at following directions? Are you good at absorbing lots of information at once? Are you comfortable taking risks uh, with new tools? Because there's a lot of them. You know, and, and, you know, a good spatial sense helps, you know, if, okay. if you're somebody who's, who's capable of looking at something three-dimensionally and, and understanding it. And everyone's got, you know, some people have almost no three-dimensional experience, but they've got a good sense, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it can cut the other way as well. Some people come in having, you know, done a lot of work this way and still struggle just for, for the lack of that natural sense. So a uh, long time ago, I tried to, you know. I've always tried to figure out basically how, how could I vet for this to make it so that everyone is working at the correct level. And I realized there's just simply no way, um, mm-hmm. no way to assess it, you know, which sort of just has to be, let's get in there and do what we can do. Yeah, that's, that's true. When I took my first class with Pete, I had no experience with any of the tools, but yeah, I could run a table saw, joiner, bandsaw, any of those type of things. I remember but, when you uh, used to make square furniture, Kyle. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, now every time I pick up a draw knife, I just hear Pete's uh, words in the back of my head: "Slice and skew, slice." That's and skew. right. So sometimes, sometimes I make it halfway through the class, and I realize the students still don't know what those words actually mean. I never bother to define them; I just keep saying them in, in hopes it'll sink. And they go, "Now, what do you mean when you say?" I'm like, oh, I really forget to. Explain. It happens. Exactly, exactly. Well, you have also a, a number of other things going on. So you just, I guess, a few months ago released a, a video, uh, Spindle Turning for Furniture with uh, Lost Art Press. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's my that's my second video. I did one with uh, Lee Nielsen that came out earlier in the year. Um, mm-hmm. It's more of a greenwood primer, you know, on selecting wood and, and splitting and bending and shaving and, you know, all that good stuff and joining. Um, so yeah, that's, this been my first, my first forays into doing the video that wasn't YouTube. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a, it's a fabulous video. Um, Thank you. Uh, I mean, it's, it's very, I mean, very detailed. I mean, what is it? It's almost the runtime of four hours and I think anybody could use it, whether you don't have to be a chair maker to use it. It's, it's basically turning spindles and you can apply, uh, the concepts that you teach to almost any type of furniture that has, you know, turned spindles, turned legs uh, or whatnot. Um, but I, I found it, uh, very fascinating because you go into all the details and, um, how to recover. Not only, I mean, you don't sit there and go, this is how it's done. And it's always perfect. You're like, okay, here's what can happen. You need to make mistakes, to be able to know what you did to get into them and how you can get out of them. So I think the instruction there is just fabulous. Well, thanks. Thanks. I, you know, no one taught me to turn perfectly. It, mm-hmm. it, it just took, it took making tons of mistakes and, you know, blowing lots of pieces that were nearly complete. Um, and, and just filling up basically, you know, a, a, what would be dumpsters full of, of, of wood, uh, <laughs> If, if, if I was to add it up. And so I just realized that I wanted to speak to folks where they actually are, which is, you know, making mistakes. That's how you start turning. You know, the thing keeps moving regardless of your position. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, and as such, it's bound to take you where you don't intend to go. So I, that's been always my approach for myself. I just always figured if I could understand literally, if I could repetitively do my mistakes, then pretty soon that I could avoid them. Understanding that, that, mentality it allows you to get through the mistakes and learn you know, positively learn from them and i've seen you turn and it's mindless is absolutely the wrong term and i don't mean to disparage it that way but it's habit like it's muscle memory you know how mm-hmm. to do it now yeah. um 
do you still occasionally have one go go le- south on you, or do you get to the point where you can reliably a hundred percent of the time? I guess nothing's probably a hundred percent of the time, but how how often do you still screw up? Is the question, I guess. Yeah, luckily not that often. Um, that doesn't mean every turning comes out as, as exactly as I wish it would. You know, on occasion I'm like, oh, I really do wish this looked a little better here. That that detail got a little away from me. But the kind of the, the things that get most beginning turners where you get a catastrophic, you know, catcher problem, those luckily don't happen that often. Okay. Um, but but that's just because they happened all the time and. That's what I always assure my students is they just haven't screwed up as much as me. So <laughs> until, you, until you do, you know, when your stack is as big as mine, screw ups, you'll probably be pretty good at it. Yeah. Exactly. I think that's a good, another good thing about that, that video is that it really shows, it really emphasizes, hey, you've got to practice this. And here's, you know, here's some stuff you can practice on and here's how you, you do your practice. And here's how, if you do screw up, um, you can't recover from it. Um, so yeah, that, that was fantastic. And, uh, I, I I can't stress that enough. And I think that kind of dovetails hand in hand into your, uh, chairmaker's notebook, which I think is, I don't know, rapidly becoming the Bible of, uh, Windsor chairmaking now. Uh, That's, that's great. That's great. Yeah. I I think it might be there, Kyle. I think it, I think it might be there. I got to order another copy, at least one to keep in my bookshelf because uh, my copy spends most of the time in the shop, and it's it's getting a little ragged in certain areas. <laughs> that's great. That's that's what I like to hear. That's wonderful. Yeah, it's, it's that that just took on a life of its own. It seems it seems like it's, I did another life, frankly. Um, it just you know a book is one of those things that you know it's, it's like getting lost in the jungle. You know, there's just there you just got to keep thrashing around till you find your way out. Um, and, uh, when I look back on it now, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. You know, a lot of it, I don't even, you know, I can't, I can almost read it like I didn't write it because it's just, there's a lot, there's, yeah, it's, it's kind of a portrait of someone obsessed. I don't know. It's not always comfortable to read. (laughs) (laughs) You read it like somebody else wrote it because it's just, it's distant from you now, or is it like, it strikes me that it's probably like when you have a young child where you're so into it and it's so hard and it's so much work that the end of it, you love the result, but those first six months you've completely blacked out because it was so hard. Yeah, I, I think that's a pretty a pretty good way of putting it. Yeah, I look back and I'm like, wow, I just, I, I it, it's pretty detailed. It's detailed, <laughs> like I said, almost to a point where I'm like, somebody needs to medicate that guy um, <laughs> because it just it just kept coming. And and you know the nice thing about it was Chris at, at Lost Art Press was so patient with me and just kept encouraging me to keep do you know adding. Um, you know, telling me that it was good material. And then I just, I just focused in on what was in front of me, you know, and just kept going back at it and back at it, you know, and not, and, you know, I think that sort of goes to what you have to do if you're building things too. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't just think about the end result all the time. You got to focus on the task in front of you. And if that task is one section that day, then you do that one section um, or work on that. And it just, you know, you just keep beating it until the things, you know, in shape, but, any project we do, I think if we actually looked at all the motion our bodies took and all the thought we had to have during the process, it'd be pretty overwhelming to relive that. And that's the funny thing about a book is you go in and you actually relive all those moments because they're, they're written down. Wow. Yeah. And it, it is comprehensive. I think, uh, like I said, before we uh, started recording, I had a specific question for you and I said, I better go back and consult the book and see if I have an answer there. And sure enough, there it was <laughs> on page, you know, 226 or something of that nature. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, my question, my question actually was, uh, okay, I see, I see most chair makers drill from the top of the seat, but then I see mm-hmm. others drill from the bottom. And, um, why do you drill from the top versus the bottom? And there it was right in the book. <laughs> oh, really? See, yeah. that's something I, I couldn't, I, I had no idea that's actually in the book. I'm yeah. <laughs> wow. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Let me, can I, uh, I, Pete, I'd like to ask you a question, but you know, I think Kyle Burkin is a ringer because all his questions relate to making your chairs. Um, okay. I'm going to ask you a question from left field and I'll just say that I've experimented with this a little bit and there really is no wrong way because there's no good way. Um, but hear me out here. Let's assume that you've got a slab that you've made by taking timber strand, which is dimensional lumber made from OSB. Okay. And you've ripped it into one and a quarter by one and a quarter squares that are 12 foot long. 
and you rotate them all and glue them back together at a slab. So essentially what you have is quarter-sawn timber strand because there's a different direction to the way the, uh, the fibers are glued together. That leaves you with lots okay. of little pockets like you get in OSB that need to be filled with a dyed epoxy. <laughs> Once you've applied the dyed epoxy and left a, a skim coating of epoxy over the entire slab surface, what's the most efficient way to remove that skim coating to get back down to the bare wood, leaving the pockets filled with epoxy now flush with the bare wood adjacent to them? I, I Obviously, a drone leaf. <laughs> <laughs> oh you know what that, I, i've that, been doing it with a sander and my draw knife is in the cabinet behind me i will pull that out and that's that's the yeah. solution here that that's a that's a hell of a problem you have there uh that, yeah yeah <laughs> so you don't know anyone that has one of those time saver belt sanders um no i actually don't, I don't. plus that i wants to run i can computer. barely carry these things out of my shop i'm not putting them in my truck Oh, well, yeah, what, are the, what are these things going to be? I'm building an entertainment center, and uh-huh. I have made now two or three pieces of furniture out of timber strand. Uh-huh. And what I particularly like about it is I'm the kind of guy I like if it's going to be fake, let it be fake. And let's declare that it's fake. I want to if we're going to get a fake Christmas tree, I want it to be pink. It's that kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. So the timber strand items that I've made to date, I have died blue, green, pretty vibrant colors because each individual little flake that's pressed together takes the dye slightly differently and it actually ends up with these beautiful tonal colors um, that I'm actually uh, I'm pretty fond of. So this is an entertainment center that's going down in the basement, which is essentially my kid's playroom. And there are four horizontal shelves. It's a very horizontal lined unit. So the four shelves... Um, the bottom one is 12 by 16, uh, 12 by 12, 12 foot long by 12 foot, 12 inches deep because it's made to fit in front of the baseboard. And then as you get higher, they step back to the back of the wall. So that the upper ones are all 16 inches deep and they're all an inch and a half wide, uh, an inch and a half thick rather of all this timber strand. And they weigh, it feels like a thousand pounds a piece. Um, and they're all going to get dyed purple. And then I'm going to have vertical risers that fit in between them. So the shelves, the sides are not out at the outside edges of the cabinet. They're going to be, the outside shelves are going to be like two and a half inches in from the edge of the horizontal shelves. And then I'm going to have more vertical dividers set in from that. And the vertical dividers are all going to be flat black, but they're going to be Baltic birch plywood and the exposed edge on the face. I'm going to dye, I think red to contrast with the timber strand slabs that are dyed purple. Um, so it's very in line with traditional winter chair making, I think. I was going to say, we're, it, yeah. Yeah, I, feel like, I feel like I'm hearing myself talk. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so that's what the whole piece is going to be. And it's been right now, like I'm literally using it as a desk in my shop to podcast on because I've got the four slabs. You wouldn't think it, but timber strand glued up will warp if you don't let it breathe. So I've got stickers between them. Um, and they're on my table saw running into the back of my shop. And they've been in the shop now for about a year as I've been distracted by other projects in the house. And they're just so damn big. Um, but that's the step that I'm on is sanding off the, the epoxy and leaving this nice smooth surface. And then the next step is to dye them and then bring it down the basement and actually assemble it. Well, as well as the uh, eyewear, I hope you're wearing a good respirator. <laughs> for that stuff, I do. I do. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Now, Diami, you have built a chair. Didn't you build a I have, funeral chair? Yes, I, I built. Okay. Uh, I, I, I suspect you're uh, familiar with Tom Fidgen. Pete? Um, it's, it sounds familiar. The Unplugged work, Workshop. He's up out of Canada. Oh, okay. Sure. Yes, um, now that you say that. In, I think it's his second book. He has a design for a funeral chair, which is a wooden folding chair. Okay. And... I could not begin to tell you what type of wood he makes it out of, but it is actual wood and it's made with hand tools. Uh, it's a beautiful little chair and it folds. And that the fold is why I made it as a chair because I needed to actually pack it in a in a crate. I'm on Long Island and I needed to ship it to San Francisco. Um, so I wasn't going to make something that didn't fold. Uh, but what I ended up doing was I made the entire thing out of timber strand. And that I made two of them, one for my son and one for my wife's friend who was getting it in San Francisco. And they were both dyed blue. And 
it was his chair, but interpreted very differently. Um, he seemed to enjoy it, and it was fun as hell to make. <laughs> so that's the experience I have making chairs. Well, yeah, this I, I feel like I really need to start looking at this timber strand stuff. <laughs> it, it's fun. It's pretty. I'm not sure how well it would bend, though. I, no, it doesn't bend. It, you don't. You don't want to yeah. bend it. It'll snap. Oh, uh, but I, I think I've I've kind of probably taken us off the rails with that. So I apologize, Kyle. Why don't you get back to more traditional um, things? <laughs> well, well, I did. I did want to ask uh, ask Pete. Um, so um, I guess that was in was that in May or April. I think it was in April. Fine Woodworking Live, and um, and you were kind of featured there as the keynote. And I just want to hear a little bit about that experience because I found uh, the keynote to be uh, uh, very inspiring. I was sitting at a at a table of uh, a lot of woodworkers and a lot of uh, uh, folks that have their own. Um, online businesses um and uh, a couple of youtubers and everyone was absolutely impressed with your keynote but i just wanted to to hear from you um how you enjoyed the event and what it was like to give a keynote in front of i don't know how uh i don't know how many people were in that room but it was packed to the gills um it, it was it was uh great i can say now that it's done um, you know <laughs> It's funny because Tom McKenna from Fine Woodworking asked me to do that. And he asked me, and I understand why, he asked me something like six months ahead of time to do it. Um, and it's a cool opportunity, so of course I said, yeah. But um, it was a, a bit of a cruel thing to do to somebody who works most of the time alone <laughs> to ask them to do a speech like that that far in advance. Because I just I could not stop thinking about it while I was in the shop for those six months. Oh, and it, it just was, it was miserable. Um, <laughs> You know, you can just imagine everything you do, you know, you're thinking about the relevance of it and why you do it. It's just, there's nothing you can do at that point uh, in those, in those uh, that shop time that isn't somehow just uh, spurring all sorts of thoughts about this impending doom speech you got to give. Uh, and so that was the lead up to it. And, uh, you know, so I, I really only wrote it in the last you know, month or so beforehand. Um, but I was I was very nervous do uh, speeches i do presentations which is great because i have the mm -hmm. work to, to shield me from the public um and that one i didn't uh, i just had to stand up there and yap and it was i was very very nervous uh, but well, it, it was it was fun yeah you did a fantastic job and yeah i mean i've seen some of uh i mean it was it was it was very inspiring and I, like i said everyone that at my table and everyone i talked to really talked it about it was an that, amazing that, keynote yeah. having been to yeah. every one of those conferences um it was on par with the best of them certainly the best one at fine woodworking live well thank you thanks it, it, mm -hmm. you know the nice thing about it is i knew i was talking to basically my people you mm -hmm. know i was talking to a lot of people with a lot of shared experiences and because of all the years I've been in the trade and, and, and worked with people and taught people, like I, I, I kind of know what it is we all have in common and what it is we think about, you know, as a, as a commonality, you know, you, you get together with woodworkers and, you know, you, the, the talk is generally something you know, that, that you recognize and can relate to. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's, you know, it's, it's not, it's surprisingly not always what you think it would be. You know, I don't get together a lot of times with people and, and these days and we don't talk tools or even techniques that much. Somewhat we do. We, we talk about our lives and what we're mm -hmm. trying to do and what our goals and what, what we're, you know, the thing we're working the most is our, our overall experience, you know, be they our aspirations or what we're allowed to do because of the, the work we've taken on. You know, all the things that we're trying to do to sort of sculpt our, our, our world to be what we want it to be in, in this way. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's some you know, that and just the general shop experience of being in there and having some goal in mind and setting yourself a task, and you know, running your own limitations. Uh, that's something that we can all relate to. It. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And and speaking of techniques, you know, you're looking at, you know, the tried and tested techniques that that I'm sure we all use versus new innovations. And I'm always intrigued looking at, you know, some of your blog posts, Instagram posts, you're always looking uh, on a new way of doing things. I mean, I think recently with uh, steam bending, um, you're actually encasing the, the bins after you pull them out of the, uh, 
of the steam box in, um, I forgot what exactly the material was, but I know it's like a, just a plastic wrap that yeah. you can envelope yeah, type thing, long and thin. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's actually shrink wrapped that is, yeah. uh, for packaging and the way that they, they, uh, wrap it in the packaging is they put the objects in the shrink wrap and put it through a steam tunnel. Oh, and it's mm-hmm. the steam that, that is meant to actually make that stuff shrink. So it's kind of pretty well suited to the towels. Yeah. And I, I think you're getting a, in some incredible time to actually do the bins. And, and uh, I believe you mentioned you've even bent some uh, kiln dry wood using that technique mm-hmm. too. Yeah. yeah. I, I yeah. didn't see the post. This is post steam box. You're put, you're wrapping it in shrink wrap or it's in shrink wrap the whole time. No, you you basically you take it out of the steamer where okay. it's in there mm-hmm. raw, and then immediately out of the steamer you throw it into the bag, uh, and then the bag shrinks up around the piece. And if you think about it, you know the heat is in the moisture, so oh, I think we just lost Pete. Mm. Well, those the moisture cartel doesn't want him revealing where the how the heat and the moisture really interact. <laughs> Wait. Oh, hello. I think. Pete. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we yeah, lost yeah, you just yeah. as you were saying the heat is in the moisture as you're as you're wrapping yeah, okay. it in shrinks. Yep. So so the the heat is in the moisture, and so if you can keep that moisture in, you can keep the heat in. Okay. And that's really what it does. Think about if you went for a jog, and if I wrapped you in Saran wrap right mm-hmm. afterwards, how miserable you'd be. Um, it's, or going it's to Boy Scout camp go- in July in a raincoat. I know exactly. Yeah, what you're exactly. Talking about. Exactly. So. <laughs> What I was doing it because I had some wood that was sort of not working out too well. Surprisingly, it was not bending well, and I was I was uh, uh, shocked. And I was like, "Well, what can I do um, to get this to to do it a little bit better?" And I had been using some air dried wood that I was covering soon after bending it to keep it from checking. And then I realized, "Well, what if I just covered it sooner? Maybe I could keep it from from cracking on me." And then after bending it, you know, I touched the piece five minutes later, and it still seemed boiling hot. And I, I realized, wow, this is this is something maybe that I can use to to my benefit. And that's that's one of my favorite kinds of moments in, in what I do mm-hmm. when I'm working with something and I run into failure and I get to rethink my process and maybe it opens up a door that is in a direction I wasn't even considering, but it's pretty cool when it does. Yeah, absolutely. So, are you always um, you looking for a new way of doing things, or is it primarily when you run up against a, a problem or issue? It's, it's generally a problem or issue. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, try, to, I try to think, I mean, when it, I, look, I look for my processes to be elegant in a way that I enjoy them. And, mm-hmm. and there's something about it that just seems like, wow, that just makes perfect sense to do it like this. It, it takes less time. It, it still takes skill, but it's, it opens doors. You know, there's, there's sort of a ratio, and you know when that ratio of, of effort and of thought is correct. You know, you don't want to over build i don't like building you know crazy elaborate jigs or anything but when something can you know when something feels like you grind your way through it i'm like oh mm-hmm. there's got to be an easier better way to do this and that's sort of when you know either that or through just sheer failure that's when i turn my attention to there's got to be a better way mm. now i might disagree with you there on crazy and elaborate jigs the jig <laughs> that you have for that for uh cutting the slots for rockers and legs that is something yeah. else <laughs> that's that that's about as elaborate as as they get for me and it, it, if it didn't work so well i wouldn't yep. think it was was overdone but it it, it reduces <laughs> that task to just a couple of minutes and i could literally hold my breath the whole time and sometimes i you know i hate using a router but mm-hmm. it, it gives me this opportunity to both uh really accurately do that job so that it's just sweet as can be and it eliminate Actually, it, it eliminated some of the sort of trial and errorness of doing it by hand that I used to have mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and allowed me to focus more on learning how to balance the rockers in a way that made it more predictable. So all of a sudden, my I, I got to see a little deeper into that. It used to be like, whew, I got the rockers to line up with each other. That's pretty good, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and then and then it got to be, okay, I got to line up with each other, and, and they're at the, the, a reasonable angle. That's pretty good. But once I started using that, that, uh, that jig... It, it made it so that that was no longer an issue and I could really start to be like, okay, what's going on with the relationship between these rockers and this chair so I can get it to rock exactly as I want. Yeah, that, that is the, and another uh, thing that, uh, or should I say product that you've been using and highlighting is, and is Osmo. 
And mm-hmm. I actually, I actually started getting into it. Uh, you know, I think I saw it on Instagram with a couple of the uh, Australian uh, chairmakers using it, and so yep. I thought, well, I'll give it a try. And then, sure enough, you popped up and you were using it too. And um, and you know, it took me probably about three projects before I got the 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 handle on it. And I was just wondering how how you're liking it. I assume you're still using it. Mm-hmm. Well, so so far, I, I do like it a lot. You know, it, mm-hmm. one one of the qualities, no matter what I'm using, uh, is that I look for is how well it can be used on a project like these chairs, where there's all these small parts you got to work around. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and this people always used to ask me for my recipe for like my my wiping varnish, which is basically just spar varnish and tongue oil and some thinner. And and there's no simple answer to that. It depended on the size of the chair, the temperature outside you know, the humidity, there's, there's a million different factors. Cause what it comes down to is you got to be able to get it on and off the chair in a reasonable amount of time. And then you've got it, you know, have it, have it build in a reasonable amount of time as well. And one of the things I found with the Osmo that I've been liking is just how, how easy it is to build a finish with it. Basically, it seems very mm-hmm. forgiving. You know, the satin especially is very forgiving, but it's a little bit dull. So then I, I throw some gloss in with the satin, which is probably against their recommendations, but I do it anyway. <laughs> Um, and, and that gives me a, a nice sheen in the end. And then if I really want to bring the sheen up, I, I throw on just straight gloss, but you know, whenever it gets glossy like that, it's going to start going on more like a shellac. It, it dries mm-hmm. very, very quickly. So once again, on a piece like that, that has a lot of small uh, pieces like the ones I make on parts, you gotta, you gotta work sort of part to part. You can't just flood the whole thing and expect you're going to get that right. off you want. It'll just tack up on you. Yeah. And I think that's why it took me about three projects to get kind of get the hang of it. Um, I was kind of following the directions and they said, leave it on there for five or seven minutes or whatever and wipe it off. And I quickly realized that that was at least in my environment, my shop, that was way too long. It was wipe it on and then wipe it off and work section by section. And once I had that down, I I really love it. And um, I've been using, you know, like two coats of the um, flat satin and then one coat of the gloss over that. And I seem to like the results of that. But I did notice, and I haven't ordered any, but I think they've actually added some more sheen. There, It's uh, more of a uh, semi-gloss now that they have out. Oh, that'd be nice. That'd be nice. Yeah, but I haven't tried it yet. I just noticed that on, I forgot whose website. Maybe it was Tools for Working Wood or or one of those. And I went to their main site and I saw it there, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's nice stuff. I still like my, yeah. you know, my, my original finish I've always used. Um, mm-hmm. It depends on what I'm doing. If I'm doing a chair that's going to be fumed like this, I never do this, but this comb back I'm doing is not getting painted. It's going to be fumed and then oiled. I'll probably go in with, with a traditional spar finish because mm-hmm. um, I want it to yellow up a little bit. Right. You know, I want the warmth of the oil to do its job there, but mm-hmm. uh, the because Os- the Osmo doesn't really do that. The Osmo is a very clear finish. Mm-hmm. Oh, the Osmo is very. See, I've not used the Osmo. It's very clear. It doesn't impart an amber hue. No, not really. Oh, see. That's yeah, intriguing. which is nice over. It's nice over colors for that mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you put a color on, and the color is what you get. I mean, that that's really. I like that a lot. You know, but, I, but I, it's, I'm it's, a fan of clear finishes. That's very intriguing because I've never. It, it it looked kind of interesting, but it was never enough to attract me. But if it if it's not adding color to it, that's a that's a big benefit as far as I would think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's and, it's really repairable. It's really easy to go back in with the same stuff um, and add more anytime you want. So that's kind of nice. Yeah, I've had to retire. And I think one of the best things I like about it is you don't have to sand between coats. Yeah. Yeah. Let's face it. Nobody likes nobody wants to finish like that. Exactly. Especially especially on chairs. I mean, getting Yeah. You know, does it yeah, stick to a into those, It'll I think it'll pretty much stick to just about anything. <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure it will i'm sure it will and um so um with that said i want to talk a, talk a little bit about yeah you are fuming a lot of furniture so i didn't realize so with the with the fuming you're going back to a traditional old varnish finish when you're doing the fuming now um when you are fuming a chair or you know, I've seen a lot of people are you using industrial strength ammonia or just the, uh, the kind of more advanced stuff you can get like in a hardware store versus a grocery store. Uh, I you can do it with just grocery store ammonia. The, the, the reason that anybody would be using 
the uh, industrial stuff is if you were mm. doing it at a, at a factory level. I think that stuff's okay. dangerous and nobody yeah. should use it. I've, I've, okay. I'm able to, I've been able to turn a chair like walnut chocolate brown, you know, in 24 wow. hours. And mm. most of my chairs, I only fume for a few hours, like maybe six or eight hours. And it has more to do with the size of the pan that the ammonia is in. And if you need to uh, change it out, you need to change it out. But the, the industrial stuff, you just, you do not need it. And, and it's just so dangerous. I, I don't think there's any reason to use it. Right. Now, that's what I was going to ask you. What kind of safety precautions are you taking? Are you, when you're doing the fuming, are you doing it outside or with the, no, just the no. grocery store stuff? You can do it inside. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. when, when I take the, the, the curtain off, you know, the plastic curtain off the furniture, mm-hmm. I just leave the room for five minutes but it's mm-hmm. it's it's really not toxic that you know imagine if you were trying to fume you know a room full of furniture you would mm-hmm. need some industrial strength stuff to to make the atmosphere in that entire room you know mm-hmm. at the, at a similar level of of evaporation of that ammonia but if you're just using the grocery store stuff it's not that bad it really mm-hmm. is and and even you know you if you got a, a snoot full of it you're going to know pretty quick i need to start minding my my safety here so uh, one last topic, and uh, before we get there, um, you know, there, I don't, I don't know if it's true or not. Maybe it's just from my perspective, but it seems like there's a lot more chair makers out there today than there were just a few years ago. And I, I noticed that you know a lot of people are selling design, selling furniture based on some other folks' designs. And I was just wondering, are you know, what's your thoughts on that? And uh, have you run into that being an issue? It's 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 not really an issue for me. Um, okay, I I just sort of I I don't ah yeah life is short. I don't spend a lot of time <laughs> worrying about it. I really I don't. I just I look at you know if, if people are inspired or encouraged, great. Mm-hmm. You know if they're taking a design from someone else and calling it their own in a way that's uh, calling you know attention to themselves as an original mm-hmm. designer. I I think. That tends to catch up with folks anyway. Yeah, um, but if, it does. if someone wants to take, if they want to take a design of mine and build it and and sell it, I think that's great. Go go right ahead. I mean, it's yeah. I, I can't make that many chairs. I don't want to make that. You know, I'm not <laughs> production in that way. Mm-hmm. So it it doesn't offend me. As a matter of fact, it's you know I remember reading this in like the book on Sam Maloof where he quoted the same issue where there was a, a famous Japanese potter and someone asked them the same question. They said if if um, Someone sees someone else's good work, they'll think it's mine. And if they see some of my bad work, they'll think it's theirs. <laughs> and so it, yeah. it all kind of evens out in the end. Yeah, yeah. It kind of it reminds me of, uh, I think, Chris Swartz's attitude. Hey, build whatever, uh, you know, I put out there. As long as you cre- give me some credit, unless it looks bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, 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 the other, and, and focus on your next good idea, hopefully. I, I always, you know, like anybody else, I'm always looking towards the next thing I'm interested in. You know, so to spend your time trying to herd your previous designs or efforts and protect them seems like a, a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I was just curious because, you know, I do uh, uh, go to a number of chairmakers thing. I go, Hey, that looks a little bit about like Pete's design. Wait, that's a little Curtis Buchanan looking, you know, kind of meshing the two together. And I uh, just found that interesting. And so yeah. I thought I'd bring that up. Well, but, Pete, how much, yeah. how much of the chairs you make is traditional versus uh, chair makers you learned from versus yours? The Windsor is such a, while I understand that your Windsors are, your Windsor's as opposed to a generic Windsor. And I don't mean that in any disparaging way there. You have a, a, a very nice aesthetic to your, your chairs. Essentially there, every, every Windsor maker is building off everybody who came before them. No. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, the, the, the key, you know, it's, it's just like, I always go back to food with this stuff. It's just like cooking. Uh, you know, we've all been to terrible barbecues and we've all been to good ones. You know, it comes down to, you know, the person who's, who's there, you know, using the same materials and the same heat source and the same, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. can make something special and great. And then some people can just wreck it. And it comes down to the sensitivity of the maker. I don't really think much about, you know, the, the, the rest of that. I mean, I guess there's probably a few things I've worked really hard to make work that I felt didn't, you know, like the, for instance, the arms and traditional Windsors, if they're added on, 
um, and not integral to the piece like a continuous arm. If it's the kind where there's two posts and then they have an arm coming off it, I always thought that sort of looked pretty poor in most instances, mm-hmm. kind of like an afterthought. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've, I've worked really hard over the years. I know that because I look at my first early terrible efforts at it, so I must have worked hard at it um, <laughs> to, try and, to try and resolve that you know, in a way mm-hmm. that, I felt, that I felt was good and to do some overall shaping that I felt like the chair needed you know, in certain chairs, you know, some chairs I don't focus much on innovating anything on and other ones I worked really hard at. So, um, it just, it, if I feel like there's room for me to add something, I work really hard to add it. Uh, if not, I just enjoy the fact that it's a classic design that I enjoy building with my own tape on it. Excellent. And, to, and so for the most part now you're building rockers. I think that was, uh, Interesting. Well, I know you build other stuff also, but uh, mm-hmm. that was interesting that, that you mentioned in, in your keynote that, yeah, you stumbled up on rockers because no one really orders more than two of those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, you never get a set of 10 rockers, or at yeah. least not yet. And that's good because, you know, repetition has its value. But at some point, I, you know, at this point, I'm more interested in, in the, you know, making making one piece at a time. It feels really, it's fun that way. Okay. Well, is there, um, I think we're about ready to wrap it up uh, and get to our uh, fortnightly beer choices, but uh, is there anything that uh, you wish to promote that we haven't talked about yet? Uh, no, not, well, let me think. Um, I'm going to be doing some some plans. People have asked me for years for plans, and I know that ah. Curtis has done a bunch of plans and mm-hmm. really nice ones with Jeff Lefkowitz, and I, right. I might work with Jeff. I haven't decided, um, but uh I think I'm going to be doing some plans and some, some instructional videos. Uh, hopefully this fall, I want to start in on that just as, you know, start working my way through some projects to bring some people, you know, up. cause you know, I think that the book sort of calls for it. One of the reasons I did the, uh, the turning video first was cause that's one of the things I think that's sort of lacking because you don't have time in most chair classes to do an in-depth turning mm-hmm. uh, seminar, mm-hmm. but I want to start doing some more, you know, sort of more like what I was doing when, when I was doing the, the video that you were mentioning earlier on the perch stool where mm-hmm. I can just go through my process and talk as I'm making and show you some things. So that's, that's sort of what the next uh, thing that people can look out for for me, as well as, of course, keeping up with my, my school. And whatnot. But that's all available through just following me on the different media. Oh, well, that's, that's very exciting. Uh, I was actually going to ask you uh, about uh, if you were ever going to get into selling plans, but uh, I, I didn't. So uh, <laughs> that's, that's great news to hear. Um, I'm guessing you've sold a few already, already based on Kyle's reaction. Yes, exactly. If you were <laughs> taking requests, the uh, four-legged uh, bar stool would be <laughs> high on my list. That's that's the first one I'm doing, actually. Really? Yeah, I'm, wow. I'm, yeah well, I'm I'm doing an article with Fine Woodworking on that one. And oh, then, cool. Uh, and then I'm going to have a video in plans as well. Wow, Fine Woodworking is yeah. going to get another uh, plan sale out of me. It looks like. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, with that, let's uh, get on to our fortnightly beer choices. So, um, Diami, do you want to go first? Sure, sure. Um, I'm going to go with another IPA, which might be a little derivative. And to those who don't like them, I apologize. Um, kind of. Uh, a bad they're they're common. I'll admit that a bad one is terrible, but a well crafted one is still a well crafted beer. And I have been fairly disappointed by the local breweries on Long Island. Um, listeners understand that I love Six Point, which is out in Brooklyn, um, basically on the river, kissing Manhattan. Uh, it's really not that close to me, but they're the only, the only local one that I really, really like. And the closest one to my house is terrible, absolutely terrible. But these guys, um, Destination Unknown, tiny, tiny little brewery, um, also very, very close to my house. There are probably less than 10 minutes by car, um, from my house. And, um, their Dominic White IPA is just a really nice balanced IPA. It's a New England IPA. It's a little sweet. It's hoppy. It's got some subtle richness to it. It's a, it's a good New England IPA and it's made less than 10 minutes from my house. So I'm definitely going to recommend the Dominic White. And on top of that, I'm going to, pause and just talk for a moment while I look this up. Um, listeners may remember that I gave away my uh, Porta Cube from uh, Portamate, the folding miter saw stand. Um, it was a really good miter saw stand that I just didn't need. And 
um, I posted on Instagram a, a week or two ago that I was going to get rid of it to anybody who wanted it. And Justin, who is a listener, and um, and Beer Aficionado came by and he gave me this Dominic White. I was will- more than willing to give him the Porta Stand because I got it from Portamate and I didn't need it and I wanted somebody who was going to use it to have it. But he was nice enough to bring me the Dominic White because he hears us talk about the beers every week. So, Justin, thank you very much for the beer. It is delicious. Um, the other one you gave me is is tasty too. I might mention that next week. Um, but anybody who can get Destination Unknown because I don't think they distribute very far. It's well worth getting the Dominic White. So, all right. Well, fantastic. Well, this this week I'm recommending a Galveston Island Brewing um, beer, and that's here local on, to me on the island. And it's uh, their Oktoberfest, which is a Marzen style beer. And I guess it's that time of year because I was cruising there. through cruising through the uh, the grocery store and went. Oh, they got their Oktoberfest variety out, and uh, they always make a fantastic one. Um, it's uh, it's really easy drinking, um, pretty low on alcohol. It's, I think it's about five point two percent. What's the and temperature like out there, Kyle? What right now? Yeah, uh, about ninety eight, oh, ninety nine degrees. I <laughs> I love a good Oktoberfest, and I if I looked for it, I suspect I could find it here too. But it's too damn hot for Oktoberfest. Oktoberfest is like, it needs to be like 60 and windy for Oktoberfest. There have to be leaves in the ground. Hey, I love the Oktoberfest. It's I, one of my favorite times of year. So I, as soon as I see them, I start buying them. And it, it's weird because I'm, I agree yeah. with you on the one hand. It is a yeah. wonderful, wonderful type of beer, but it's the yeah. type of beer where I just can't drink it when it's hot. Well, we're in Texas. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's always you know, hot, isn't it? Yeah, and it's, you know, it's 72 degrees in my house because, you know, we like our air conditioning. <laughs> so right, it's fine. Right, enjoy fine. it. Yeah, yeah. And and if memory serves me right, I think technically, Pete, you're a Texan too. Uh, yeah, I was born in San Antonio. So I think I think you, you're a citizen your whole life if you're born there is how it works. <laughs> yes, you are. Yes, you are. Right now. Yes, yes. technically. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're looking forward to you coming home. Uh, there you go. <laughs> well, that, at that temperature, I think it's 50 degrees here right now. I, I think it, I'll, I'll stick around here to see how it works out. Yeah, yeah. Well, I forgot to add, it's also 99% humidity too right now. So, well, yeah, at least you're wet. Exactly, exactly. So, Pete, do you have anything to recommend? Um, well, you know, I went to the store the other day, um, and I'd gotten a, a, a beer uh, called Ten Fitty. Are you familiar with this? Ten Fitty. Yeah, Ten? no, I, I can't say yeah, that I am. It's it's a um, it's I want to I wouldn't call it the funny thing is I went back to get more of it so I must have liked it, but <laughs> I, I bought it for this great little market near us that just sells in the cans and I was going because I was going to have one drink that night and I was like well then it's going to be a good one and it, that's like a ten and a half percent so that's why it's ten fifty mm, okay and, yeah. uh, but it ended up being more more like a, a rich stout kind of thing going on almost liquory as okay. it were, and rich as can be, like not the kind of thing that you're going to drink with a burger, um, but the kind of thing that you probably have after a meal. And uh, I really thought it was, it was pretty good. So when I, when I spot it again, I'm going to buy another can. I don't know if I'd ever buy it in the six pack because, because that would just kill you. It was um, it the t- I'm looking it up now. Was it the 1050 barrel aged Imperial stout? That's it. Okay. And I'm going to be I, up in Concord next week. I'll have to look for that. Yeah, give it a try. I, I enjoyed it uh, immensely. And, you know, if you if you do buy a six or you know, just keep it for a while because, you know, it's not like you're going to have – I don't think you'd be having two or three of those in a night. But the one I felt was really like if I was – it's it's the uh, – you know, what's the old uh, – the one to have when you're having more than one? This is just the opposite. The one to have when you're just <laughs> having one. Well, that's yeah. excellent. Excellent, excellent. So, uh, so Diami, so where can they find you? Well, I can be found at uh, at Diami Plotke. That's D Y A M I P L O T K E on the Twitter. That is is absolutely the best place to find me. But I am also on Instagram fairly often at Penultimate Woodshop. And you, Kyle? Me, I'm primarily on Instagram at Barton Kyle. I miss the old and days people, when you were on Twitter. Yeah, I know. I I gave up both Twitter and Facebook, even though I still have accounts. But primarily, I'm on Instagram. 
And um, so, Pete, where can I find you? Um, I I guess this is my name. I think that's what it is on, <laughs> yep. on Instagram. Pete Galbert uh, on Instagram. Peter I think, Galbert. I think, I think that's yeah. what it is. And then, of yeah. course, you can just always uh, go to my website and check out my blog there because I still do on occasion put some some uh, old school blog posts up. Excellent. Someone well, that's to. I'm glad you are. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and Not I as love often that, as I'd like. Yeah, and I love that you still have, I think it's your blog, uh, your other blog that was on, what was it? Forgot yes. what platform it is, but that's still up and running. And oh yeah, I can't I can't imagine how many times I've gone there and searched for something and found the answer. So uh, that's really great that you still have that up and going too. It's, I'm glad you you know there are times when I actually have to search it because I forget how I do something. So <laughs> it, it serves it serves. That's why it's up still because I'm like oh yeah what what do I do? Oh, There's yeah. tremendous value to writing stuff down. It, yes. There really is. Yeah. There really is. Oh well, great. Well, uh, that just about wraps it up for this show. So if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show on iTunes or Google Play Music. Just search for the Modern Woodworkers Association. Then you'll never be sure to miss any of our exciting episodes. And while you're there, please leave us a review. Thank you for listening. If you like the show, be sure to visit modernwoodworkersassociation.com. You can follow the MWA on Twitter at MWA underscore national or on Instagram at MWA underscore podcast. We are on Facebook and anything, uh, if you want to do anything to help us, the best thing you can do is to just share this with a friend because word of mouth goes a long way in sharing our love of woodworking. Uh, so with that, grab a spoke shave, find some timber strand, pour the whole thing in epoxy and go make a chair. <laughs> Thank you.